0: climate justice, net zero, range anxiety, carbon offsets, carbon sequestration, sustainability, voluntary markets is all the blah-blah jargon that Greta Thunberg rightly calls out. When those with multiple degrees and accreditations are struggling to define these terms, let alone implement it, we come to the solid ask. Of where do we go from here? The Winning Side. A series of dialogues about winning themes such as diversity and inclusion, creating a social impact, and leading change. Subscribe now to stay in the know. Hello and welcome to the Winning Side Suite. This is your host, Sarah Hassan, back with a very interesting and rather topical dialogue, for lack of a better word. Our dialogue today is call for progress and innovation on the back of COP26, United Nations Climate Conference, held this November at Glasgow. Beyond COP26, there is real action required to be a part of the solution. We need to step up. If you haven't checked out yet, then on our YouTube channels, we've shared snippets of the COP events and our key takeaways from there. For today's dialogue, we have a tech entrepreneur who launched his sustainable line of business at COP this year. He is John Peer. He is a very dear cohort member from University of Cambridge Executive MBA. I hope Today, we can demystify some of these jargons related to sustainability and also address what's the way forward and how can we all be a part of the solution. So without much delay, I'd like to introduce or invite on board John Peer. John is the CEO of GeoTree. He's a tech entrepreneur, an advisor to the UK Space Agency and Satellite Applications Catapult a former agriculture and biofuel trader, and an Oxford-trained development economist. Welcome on board, John.
1: Hi, Sarah. Good to be here, and thanks for welcoming me onto your show.
0: The pleasure is all ours. And firstly, congratulations on uh, the launch of GeoTree.
1: Yes, thanks a lot. And it was great to actually be able to launch it at COP26. It's probably one of the most appropriate places to uh, launch a venture like GeoTree. But yeah, exciting time to be in the climate tech space and trying to be part of the solution.
0: That's amazing. And that's what we're here to discuss. So we'll take a step back and we'll start knowing more about your personal journey. Where did it all come from? What What's your tech entrepreneurship kind of vision and uh, also your development economics background? How does it all tie up?
1: So it's been an interesting journey for sure. And you've kind of highlighted some of the key points in your introduction I'll spare your listeners' trip back to my my childhood and just start with um, you know studying development economics, which I was fortunate to do at uh, at Oxford. Great academics such as Sir Paul Collier, who had been an inspiration of mine with his book The Bottom Billion, and there we learned about things like you know poverty traps and how a lack of access to finance for people like farmers, for example, in in in, uh, in developing countries was such a, a barrier to actually, um, you know, global equality and and, and getting the, the, the bottom billion or the poorest in, out in, in the world out of dire poverty. But after studying this at Oxford, I, I guess I took a bit of a journey to the dark side in, into finance. Um, although, you know, you know, I started off as an intern trading at, at Goldman in their trading division and also made it to VP at Citi doing agricultural commodities trading. And this is where I was kind of introduced to the, the potential power of satellite imagery and remote sensing. In this context, I was using it to model production and yields for agriculture commodities throughout the world and take a view on the financial markets based on that. And this has been a recurring theme in my life since. How can we leverage Earth observation and satellite imagery to make solutions and 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 de-risk different outcomes that also now tackle climate change? And, and that's something which... Uh, you know, has been like I say a theme in my in my life since then.
0: That's the most amazing part. And I was very curious to know this. Was there a story behind it? Why did you go into development economics? Or why did you why did you choose to be a commodity trader or it so happened?
1: So I'm originally from Trinidad. Growing up in a in a country like that, you always think about things from a development economic standpoint, I feel. But I guess, as most freshers at the time, you know, finance and trading as 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 the nice industry to get into. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was exposed all during my university time to to that, and and when I you know I, I remember first walking on a trading floor, and the buzz was was really electric. So that that was something I thought you know I wanted to be in this world. But that being said, whilst I was trading and using you know satellite imagery to take a view on on financial markets. You know, we always had this issue around things like clouds in the imagery. And mm-hmm. you can imagine you have the satellite orbiting the Earth, but if you have clouds between the Earth and the satellite, there's not much you can see. By then, I'd started to talk to the satellite applications catapult, and I said, can you connect me with a startup who would actually solve this problem of clouds, that is? And that's where they connected me with the Chaps and Manta labs, which is, you know, agri-fintech, we call it, but it's, you know, using satellite imagery to provide financial solutions, like um, to farmers, whether it's um, you know allowing banks to give affordable credit, uh, I'll just give you a very simple use case. You can imagine, you know, India has 120 million farmers, for example, many of them small holders, and they don't have financial records or production histories necessarily. So we use satellite imagery to be able to you know essentially make a credit score based on a production history going back in time, and this is revolutionary because it unlocks access to finance. And also insurance to farmers who, because of a lack of data, essentially are kind of you know um, left aside and and the unbanked, so to speak. Just going back to my in development economics, kind of came full circle because I saw how you know a tech solution was able to solve a huge issue, and and this is exactly part of the journey that we started at Manta Labs, and now which with a slightly different lens, we're trying to to tackle with GeoTree now.
0: This is amazing, and to be fair, this is kind of new to me as well and i learned it through you that you know about satellite imagery and how to add it to uh, to the credit scores but i was wondering whether this is more of a fintech uh, world which has accepted it or large commercial banks are also now relying on credit scores via satellite imagery
1: so it's i would say you know a few years ago it was pretty like you say a bit niche Mm. but now i think a culture of innovation, even around corporates, large corporates. And they are open to having these conversations around using satellite imagery to access farmers. India was always an interesting use case because, um, by law, the banks have to lend to agriculture and to farmers. They have priority sector lending in legislation. So so the banks were always interested in looking for solutions to kind of de-risk their portfolios. Because you can imagine they get a asymmetric kind of um, or adverse selection. Sorry, should I say of of loans? They are open to this. Um, the incorporation of uh, satellite imagery. India was in a way the beachhead, but now we're seeing it in you know being applied in countries like Brazil, for example, and others. So interesting how tech—it's not always from the Silicon Valleys or the like that it needs to come from. Sometimes you know the use cases are in developing countries but, and, but farmers need whether they're large or small they all need access to credit to insurance so that's where you can actually get a cost effective globally scalable solution as well
0: very true that's a that's a very solid point it doesn't always come from a innovation hub you have to be at the the grassroots at the, the ground levels to get the right uh, solutions as well to be closer to that to the to the problem really to find the solution well totally transitioning on from there to geotree and i know geotree is relatively young but i know you've been working on it since past two years which is uh which is quite some effort i'm sure i want to know more about geotree about the business about the target market about the solutions it's providing
1: Thanks, and you're right. It's been I don't know if it's quite been two years, but it has it, fe- it has felt like two years that we've been, uh, you know, getting GeoTree off the ground. But essentially, it's it's a joint venture at heart. It's it's a joint venture between Manta Labs, the company I, I described before, the agri fintech um, yeah. which I'm president of, and the other JV partners, Hartree Partners, uh, which, funny enough, is a former um, employer of mine. Um, I was trading agriculture and biofuels there. Hartree happens to be, you know, one of the premier traders of the carbon markets, whether they are the compliance markets. And when I say compliance, we're talking about companies like power, you know, energy and power companies who have to, by law, be part of the emissions trading scheme like the EU has. And Partry is also part of that and provides liquidity. But also they are a big member of the voluntary carbon markets. And these are companies who, you know, have made their net zero pledges, for example, and they've done all they could to, you know, decarbonize their operations and everything else. And now they're looking for, to be connected to, to projects, essentially, which also have huge carbon removal potential, for example. And this could be forestry or, or regenerative agriculture, just to name two. So Hartree is very big in that space, and they're also members of the Task Force for Scaling Voluntary Carbon Markets. Led by Mark Carney. So, you know, it's a good marriage between one or a company in Manta Labs, which had has built a reputation of being able to leverage satellite imagery to provide pretty useful solutions to the financial services industry. And also on the other side, we have Hartree, who is a very active member of the voluntary carbon markets. So, combining those expertise, we think the GeoTree is quite an exciting proposition. And, and like you say, it's, it's sometime in the making, but I think. You know, given the launch in COP26, it does feel like the time is is is, is right now to actually do this. So, um, so yeah, he- here we are right now.
0: That's brilliant. I will take a step back and kind of leverage your expertise here and share with the with the listeners about carbon markets in a, in a bit of a more simpler terminology. John, what's the simplest way of explaining, let's just say two or three terms re- with regards to carbon markets and what are we trying to achieve here?
1: I think it's a good question in terms of what are we trying to achieve. Why should we have companies going and and trying to finance these projects? And what are the kind of principles, the guiding principles in doing this. You know, Oxford has published a good report, I would say, in in terms of the Oxford principle Mm -hmm. for uh, carbon offsets and carbon projects, and I, I would say, I think it's by the Smith School, so I'll I'll tell you your listeners to, to give that a google as well. But just in terms on the very basic level, when we're thinking about these projects in terms of trying to sequester carbon, you know, remove it from the atmosphere and store it in the soil or the biomass of vegetation and channeling finance towards that. We need to think about something firstly called additionality. That means, you know, is is this something an activity that we're funding would that have been occurring even without the finance? For mm-hmm. example, yeah. and And this is an issue that you know it's, it's it's a it's a real concern um when you're thinking about people actually paying for these projects and adding the removal to their own kind of carbon accounting right because
0: it's termed as carbon offsets really right exactly
1: so if they're looking to offset right mm-hmm. their own um you know carbon exposure let's say or, or their emissions the emissions that they are kind of responsible for with the removals let's say from some uh, somewhere else
0: mm-hmm. we
1: need to be comfortable that you know, that removal would not have happened anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, so there needs to be this additionality. It's something where we need to set a baseline, for example. So if there's a certain amount of deforestation taking place, we need to understand how that's evolved in a particular region um, or country. Or, for example, if there's just been degraded land, or from the, in terms of agriculture as well, if we've had farmers doing practices like tillage, right? And that's the local practice, which where they kind of disturb the soil, then we can factor that into that's like the baseline of of practices or landscapes that are in that region. But if the finance can come and and change, for example, how the farmer tills and make them move them to reduce or no till, then that increases the amount of carbon that can be stored in the soil, for example. It
0: becomes a carbon sink then. Yeah, exactly. I'm just swapping in words there. Yeah.
1: And the, the the soil is a great carbon sink in the sense that it does store a lot of carbon, similarly to the oceans and 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 yeah. all the vegetation as well. So additionalities that is one of the, the core principles. Secondly, I would emphasize permanence. I think this is you know, kind of come to the fore when we've seen um, wildfires, for example, in, in the United States. If you have a carbon project or in you know nature-based solution project, yeah. you know, in forestry and you have fires. You kind of lost that sink. Carbon gets released again, or a lot of the carbon anyway. Then you think about the permanence. If you, similarly, if you have um, a farmer and you're paying the farmer to practice no-till or plant cover crops, for example. Yeah. And the farmer, you know, for whatever reason, decides not to do that anymore and start to till again, then you might have carbon released again into the atmosphere. You can think about, oh, yeah, is this actually a permanent solution? You know, is that really helping us in tackling climate change? This is an issue which is obviously very relevant to nature-based solutions Yeah, because it's always the risk that, you know, there is some kind of reversal and the carbon gets released. And hence, people also talk about engineered solutions as well, where, for example, direct air capture, So you're literally sucking the carbon out of the air and storing it into some arguably permanent tool, whether or it's... Something. A, yeah. yeah, it could be like a, a formerly used oil well underground, yeah. for example, or some kind of geologic formation where you, you're fairly confident it's going to be, it's going to stay there for hundreds of years, if not longer. Or you also have the potential to utilize the carbon as well, So there's a concept of carbon storage and utilization at a very basic level where we can extract the carbon and repurpose it, make different kinds of products out of the carbon. And that's probably what people are thinking as well now in terms of the the potential scenarios. However, just going back to the nature-based solutions, which is the focus of GeoTree, if we are giving nature a value in a way, if we are restoring degraded lands, moving farmers to more sustainable and regenerative practices restoring mangrove forests and ecosystems, you can almost imagine that there is a additional benefit to the carbon. And we get kind of zeroed in on carbon and, you know, the amount that needs to be drawn down. But there are core benefits here, whether it's biodiversity, whether it's rural communities who benefit, you know, indigenous communities, for example, need to be the center of a lot of these projects. Hopefully some of the key beneficiaries as well. Think about fisheries when you think of blue carbon and mangrove preservation, flood defenses as well. Water filtration, all these things tend to be kind of associated in some way with these nature-based projects, which are not necessarily the case when you have an engineered solution. So I'm not saying that nature-based is superior in any way to, to the engineered, but when we think of the the planetary boundaries, and, and I'm sure you're going to ask me about you know my takings from COP, one of the things that I did kind of take away is that the conversation is moving beyond just purely carbon, but also in terms of all these other factors about biodiversity and about you know, thinking about nature and 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 restoring different uh, natural ecosystems, all the endangered species that we've lost as well. So, and that's the beauty, I think, of nature-based solutions to, to climate change.
0: You're very right, and naturally, the way things happen. If you can kind of facilitate that, there's nothing better than that because that's the that's what the ecosystem is used to. So you're not introducing a new foreign element to it. You're just facilitating it through a innovation. I totally get where you're coming from, and. Uh, I'm glad the GeoTree is there, focusing on the nature-based solutions. I know you've kind of addressed the the ask about the takeaways from COP26. I'm not sure whether further takeaways, more so if not just from COP26, because that's like a very broad ask. But perhaps mm-hmm. with your launch at GeoTree, what was your takeaway from from individuals uh, who came to? What was your kind of grassroots takeaway from there? Because global leaders were there, multiple corporates were there. People who are climate crisis witnesses—they were there.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I, I have a few takeaways actually, Sarah. And I think one of them actually was the rising of methane in the agenda. I got familiarized with this concept of demethanization, I'm starting to think about these other greenhouse gases like methane. And why it's particularly relevant to me is obviously, as we said, I have this background in agriculture. Agriculture is a big emit of methane, as you, I'm sure you're well aware.
0: Um, I became well aware during the, the conference as well. Methane was new to me as well.
1: Yeah. So, and I think, you know, in agriculture, we know about methane, but I think, you know, what was new to me was methane being central to part of the solutions to climate change yeah. and being discussed. You know, it was always very niche and people laughing at jokes of cows and everything, you know, releasing yeah. gases. But here we actually had people discussing how many countries can be part of that solution? And an interesting one—it's
0: one a, a hundred to be precise. I think that's what I last checked. I think a hundred hundred yeah. countries signed up to the meeting. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, and and like I said, from an agricultural perspective, like I think around twelve percent twelve percent of the emissions are from rice. This is a staple food, obviously, for for many countries and many fast food countries. So so we do have an issue there.
0: We talk about going meat free. We talk about going vegan. But in essence, <laughs> rice. Uh, being in the of methane then really makes us question that what is exactly the right way of going about things.
1: And there's a silver lining here. The good thing is that we know the practices, or at least we think we do, or that can make rice more sustainable. And drastically, I think the studies say 70 to 80 percent reduction in the amount of methane um, yeah. emitted by rice by e- essentially intermittent flooding of the paddies. So instead of just having them flooded all the time you know, and the microbes in the soils releasing the methane, essentially. We can have the different flooding methods, you know, methods and regimes which could drastically reduce the, the emissions. Now, even more exciting as well, from a geotry perspective, mm-hmm. is we can monitor these practices. Brilliant. You know, we can be part of the solution. One of our aims is to go in countries like India and facilitate the transition to more sustainable flooding regimes and practices in the rice sector. And thereby, hopefully, you know, yeah, like you say, we monitor it using our satellite imagery and thereby hopefully, you know, allow what you just described is that's like the constraint optimization kind of problem, right? It's like, oh yeah, how do we feed everyone? And when it comes to rice, it's very difficult to, to you know, to see that being solved, right? Here we we have the science in terms of understanding what's causing the emission. We have a solution. And yeah. now we have the monitoring technology to be able to make sure that the finances of any of these solutions, whether they're corporates in developed countries or wherever else, they are assured in terms of understanding that, yes, these practices are being adhered to so that you know we we can understand within, like I said, the bounds of additionality and and to a certain extent permanence that these are being adhered to and our money is actually doing something credible. And that's just one of my takeaways. yes. Secondly, I'll say. Climate adaption seems to be getting a lot of airtime. And I think obviously we're all feeling the impacts of climate change. Many developing countries, especially the farmers, the rural communities, are feeling it firsthand and being the first victims, let's say. So I think there's been a lot more talk now about adaption. And this is where actually Manta Labs, I think, being a company that provides financial services, banking, insurance to farmers, many of them living in a developing countries, can be part of the solution. Because yeah. you can imagine, you know, for, you know, in short, it's probably a clear example. Yeah. You know, you're going to have increased probabilities and, and frequencies of extreme events, whether it's droughts and everything else. And we need cost-effective solutions for the farmers to, to kind of tackle that and not be left in t- you know in ruin, essentially, because of one bad harvest. So that's where mantle comes in. And, and we, we think we could be part of that kind of climate adaption agenda, let's say. And then my last takeaway is the sense of a real feeling of the need for collaboration, especially amongst different tech companies, whether it be large or small. You know, we had great conversations with, not many of them, but some of the trillion dollar tech titans out there, and even down to companies very much SMEs like us. So I think it's a real ethos of collaboration. And GeoTree embodies that sense, where you have startup like Mantle, who's been doing pretty good work for five years or so. Meeting or collaborating with fairly large commodities trader, which is a like Goldman Sachs out, has been doing great work in their kind of field and making a new entity, which is about combining the best of both worlds to tackle yeah. the climate change. So I think th- those are my takeaways from COP, I would say. So I'm sure you had more um, than me, uh, Sarah.
0: <laughs> I think you have summarized kind of the takeaways from COP in general. These are like the key themed one in relation to this topic. But but also, I would just like to share from your earlier point, right, about bringing the finance to the right kind of people at the grassroots level, um, as you mentioned, in India to the farmers and, and so on and so forth. Something that I got more aware about it, kind of learned more about was the fact that during some of the events, there were Indigenous people and there was this Indigenous nurse who was on a video call from Africa. And she shared how we need to kind of make our financial processes more simpler. Understanding of the jargon in the financial world is not that common in uh, for farmers because their niche is different and they, they know more about the soil, the land, the the crops and, you know, those those kind of things. They have a different set of expertise. But so as a woman in finance, I feel that I don't think we do a very good job in kind of simplifying that exercise for those people. So perhaps there is finance available, but maybe they it's not approachable for them. And that's where this COP one of the terms that was very near and dear to my heart was climate justice about how do you mobilize all this finance and make it more equitable so that the right regions get it. Your takeaway kind of aligns with all those things.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And hopefully, I think it's not, we're not finished yet. COP is still going on, but yes. hopefully we make
0: Negotiations some Negotiations are going on. And I I yeah. hope, I I really hope, you know, apart from all the, the sour taste and, you know, the, the cons let's just put it for the cop but i hope we come out with some solid pros as well because at the end of the day it's us who will give a solution right who else nobody is going to come like it's just it's it's one of us who has come. who has each one of us rather have to come back with solutions nobody's going to come solve it for us really so i think everybody yeah. needs to step up one of the statements that on an event that we both were on john i, I think the, it was the economist event and mm. one thing that really you kind know, of stuck with me was the fact that you know, leaders don't always make decisions for everybody. And it is the public opinion or the public push that ultimately becomes the the ultimate decision of a leader. So it's I, I think it's for the larger public and for us to kind of speak up of what is required so that the negotiations can go in that direction.
1: No, definitely.
0: Coming back to you to GeoTree and how geotries being a part of the solution i think we've kind of moved from your personal experience to how to making a business case on why do we need innovation and why do we need to harness the power of nature how can tech enablers be a part of solution and perhaps take geotries use case of how i know you've just started what kind of gaps did you or your team kind of see in the market and what was it that you, you thought you could bring in to kind of have a good fit in the puzzle
1: That's a great question, Sarah. And I'll just say, you know, initially, it's worth taking a step back and understanding, given the scale of, you know, reorganisation of our global economy that needs to occur uh, to tackle climate change, it's it's a huge opportunity from a business and technology and innovation perspective, clearly. Uh, You know, I think we've seen, you know, Larry Fink and Bill Gates discuss 10 Teslas being created in terms of climate tech companies and an Amazon and a, and a Microsoft, I think Bill Gates put it. And I think Larry, Larry Fink himself just said it's going to be a thousand unicorns. But anyway, I think however you use dice it or slice it, there's a whole technology stack in a way uh, and a whole, you know, many different industries which need to, to be made um, for us to, to, to do what needs to be done. And, you know, we, we mentioned, for example, just now direct air capture. Mm. And there are startups in that space who are whose their, their their businesses is about carbon rem- removal from the atmosphere. Tech companies have invested, venture capital has invested, you know, family offices. So, you know, it's definitely a thematic that is here to stay. Agriculture and food, we've seen it as well. You know, food and agriculture, I think, is around 30% of emissions. So things like plant-based come to the fore, things like also uh, vertical farming. Now back to you know, geotry. Most of the conversations around the voluntary carbon markets and, you know, when we say voluntary, like I said, you know, this this is not, essentially it's, it's the, not your compliance market. I, companies don't have to do this by law. You have to do if you're a power a utility in, in, uh, in the EU, for example. But with the net zero pledges, people are expecting the voluntary carbon markets to scale from around a billion dollars worth this year to potentially 50 to 100 billion dollars worth in by 2030 that that's you know by any measure a quite extraordinary explosive growth potential but as you can imagine as someone in finance i'm sure you you, you understand there's um, a lot that needs to be done from an infrastructure perspective to actually scale a market like that well, one of the key things to you know to to make sure that essentially the financial security is here carbon offsets are of high quality and you know uh, they're not some kind of junk bonds how can we avoid nature-based and i think specific agriculture being the junk bonds Mm. of the carbon offset world you know things like having good monitoring reporting and verification tools to ensure that quality and integrity in the markets to ensure that if finance is being channeled to a project in brazil or in wherever in the world it is that we do have the confidence that it is doing what it's meant to do and is of high quality and guides by those principles I mentioned of additionality and permanence. So,
0: and that's a very valid ask, by the way, right? Because we, yeah. are, we are the generation who has seen the too big to fail in the banking sector. And nobody right. other than us would understand it better that, you know, now this is like global too big to fail kind of a situation.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. So I think that is going to be a, a great kind of um opportunity like i said in terms of yes. you know like, like similar to the levi jeans kind of thing right you know we're giving the pits and shovels and, and everything else to you know we're not removing carbon ourselves from the atmosphere but we are you know doing our part in terms of being the facilitator to those actually challenging the finance to to do so and and yeah so i think that's 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 what geotree is here to do it's about that mrv piece like we as we call it and we and, and the great advantages we have satellite imagery and 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 it's going to only increase as well, and the sensor capabilities are going to increase. So, you know, we like being in, in the middle, essentially. The, the data analytics piece, we don't own our own satellites, just to be clear. You know, we're able to access data from NASA and European Space Agency satellites, and also private satellites. Yes. So we're in the middle, you know, we're doing the AI, the processing, giving the outputs. And then the other side, we have the customers, which I think are growing based, given the market growth I, I described just now project developers who want to develop public projects, different parts of the world, um, like whether, whether it's forestry, agroforestry, or regenerative agriculture, for example. And that's a, a kind of growing industry in themselves because they have to address their customer base who are the large the growing number of corporates who themselves need to look at their, their their commitments when it comes to net zero and the like. So we're quite happy where we are in, the, uh, in that kind of uh, value chain.
0: That's nice. I think it's a very good place to be and a very timely place to be at this point in time. John, I mean, we've, we've talked about the good part and what what GeoTree is, what's it, what it is bringing to the value chain from a tech entrepreneur lens. What are the limitations that you see for this industry on the whole, or for GeoTree, for that matter?
1: Well, I think, and this is something that people have seen in the in the compliance carbon markets, for example. There, you know, there's always been this. Investor concern or stakeholder concern that governments might change their their thinking yeah um, for example governments may desire that climate change isn't such a threat as as we thought previously and that's something we've seen i guess for the past decade as um, regimes have come and gone but i guess you know maybe yeah, with- i see what you
0: mean like with with the governments changing yes i i get to
1: yeah. So you know, there was a time, for example, where the vol- the compliance markets, you know, was trading in single digits in the EU, right? So m- mid single digits, uh, a ton of, of carbon. Now it's sixty euros plus. Um, so and and then, and this is in the space of just a few years, right? This is, I'm not talking decades here. So it feels like the the winds of change have come, and mm-hmm. we are we have moved on in the conversation. There's consensus yeah no. that this is an issue that we need a global solution to, aided by the fact as well that you know we have a you know generational shifts in, in wealth, for example and and everything else, and the ESG kind of uh, moves as well. Primary tech, you know, ha- always has that kind of political issue angle, but hopefully hopefully we've we're kind of on the right side of that at the moment. But more generally, as with any kind of technology, especially yeah. what I've seen in my time being connected with satellite imagery, which was like I said ever since I was trading, you know, remote sensing and satellite data and, 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 and imagery has always been almost a solution looking for a problem. As, as with a lot of kind of deep tech innovation that kind of comes from labs and governments, and it's always there, but it's looking to find the solution, the pain points, the people who are actually going to be paying customers, essentially. I think the good thing that we have in Man's Labs and at GeoTree is, you know, we combine the, the deep R&D experience, you know, and, and we have a fantastic research team both entities. You know, we combine that with industry experience. So obviously I have experience in finance, co-founders have experience in um, in making financial solutions for banks and insurance companies, tech solutions, should I say. When you have that kind of closeness to the customer, so to speak, it allows for us to make solutions which are close to the customer pain points and actually get that holy grail of product market fit let's say right Uh, if that's kind of the term to use. so So,
0: i think on on that john sorry to cut you but on that john adi how dynamic is the solution you know you know if something changes or new technology comes in how easily can geo3 put in because i mean i don't know if, if that's the right question to ask or it just came to me
1: yeah, no, that's a good question. And I think, you know, we always try to be nimble and be open to incorporating, for example, different data sources, different kinds of sensors. You know, I mentioned satellites. If they're drones, for example, we could take data from drones if, if, if it's there. If there's ground data, for example, some kind of soil measurement or or, or whatever, we can take that in as well. So I think we, we're also building the technology with a view that, um, you know, it can build on other data sources if they become available.
0: Because it's in terms of scaling, or you know, I I mean, you you don't want it to kind of stop. A lot of this, you may know better, but I'm hearing from what you say, I I believe a lot of this data is open sourced right now, right? Is it the satellite one, or do you have to, is it licensed, or do you have to get certain permissions to use it?
1: It's really available, but it's very raw, right? So that's why, you know, you can imagine we have all these, you know, 10 or 30 meter by 30 meter grids all over the world imagery all yeah. kinds of spectral reflectance um, readings. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of data. So there's a bunch of AI processes to get that raw, allegedly free data to actually usable state. But again, this is something which, you know, probably wouldn't be possible at this scale, you know, a decade ago, because yes, we have the imagery, but we also have the cloud compute capabilities as well. I think that's that's another point why we're at a ver- very exciting kind of Phase now when it comes to the um, the remote sensing side and using it for you know to to provide scalable solutions, and that's the word you use, like scale, mm. and able to you know monitor projects in whether it's in South America, in Asia, North America, or wherever it is, that's what really is exciting right now because the tech is at the stage now where we can be really global in our ambitions.
0: Well, I'm really excited for you. And this uh just this, hearing you and this conversation makes me all excited about GeoTree. And I I really hope it Goes to all the way where your vision is and beyond. So from here, the way forward for the industry in general, for the for the for the tech innovators in general, what would you mm. like to share in terms of those with an idea? What's the secret sauce to make an idea translate into an execution stage?
1: Yeah, it's interesting you use that term secret sauce because I, you know, my, you know, I'm going to give some slightly different advice I think potentially to others. I would say, you know, innovation and entrepreneurship comes in different forms. And I guess you are probably an example of this yourself, Sarah. You know, you don't have to, you know, be in a garage somewhere getting your startup going. There's innovation within companies, which in large, within large corporates is entrepreneurship, you know, which is a great thing as well, because you can leverage the resource of that company. Hopefully, if you can get everyone on side to do some really great things, kind of like what I did with, to say, with GeoTree, bringing two parties which who i knew i my current company Manta labs and and my my former company martry together to make a new entity and that was to a certain extent leveraging my network so so be open-minded in terms of trying to see what doors you can do if you're in a big company what, what doors you can open to get your ideas out there and then also look at your network as well potentially so that that's just my little uh observation i guess as well
0: but john that's a great observation so i think activism and entrepreneurship and all this is like totally mainstream now it's not you don't have to be in a niche world of incubator hub or somewhere to come up with new ideas and execute it so this is some very solid advice so thank you for that as much as i'd like to continue talking to you (laughs) conscious of the time and conscious that you're giving us your friday evening to Talk about climate, talk about being a part of a solution, talk about your wonderful venture, geo which I totally wish all the very best for. Thank what you. What is your winning mantra? What are your parting thoughts that you'd like to share for um, individuals, leaders, policymakers in this space?
1: For, for the individuals, for like the risk takers out there. And I think this is this is a theme that we saw at Judge to next extent, Sarah. How can you try and you know, ride that zeitgeist to a certain extent, see where the wind is blowing, where the opportunity is. But obviously the timing has to be right, you know, as we studied. And so I, I don't want to give policymakers, I don't want to be too prescriptive, but I would say we're living in a kind of golden age of entrepreneurship and innovation, whether it's at universities or or just, you know, out on, on, on Main Street. So I would say, let's see what we can do to encourage and channel all that collective energy and 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 innovation towards tackling some of the world's greatest issues
0: thank you so much john this has been a wonderful conversation and i have a lot of takeaways from it i'm following going to follow your journey very closely and of course we're going to stay in touch on that note thank you for giving your precious friday evening to the winning side
1: thank you thank you for your time great to be on here thanks
0: time to design, create and build an inclusive club. If you enjoyed this dialogue, please share it as a care gift with your friends, family and wider network. Your feedback is what makes this dialogue inclusive really. So do subscribe and engage on the podcast platforms, YouTube and Instagram handle. Until next time, ciao ciao.